Father, once again, we're grateful for this morning, and we're grateful for all the many gifts you give to us. We're thankful to be able to be here to hear from your word, and we would ask that you might use your spirit to help us to comprehend and understand just what a great God that you are, and what a great salvation you provide in Christ, that it may lead uh, to our greater devotion, because certainly you're worthy of that. Please do your work in our lives. Uh, We need you and we need your help and we know that you are quick to help. So please do that now in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with two quotations. They probably sound familiar. Where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. And If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Not very encouraging. Jesus says, I'm leaving and you can't go with me. And you're going to experience the same kind of persecution I'm experiencing and will experience. So imagine what the original disciples would have thought, felt, sensed when they heard those things. Bad. They loved Christ. They were with Him. They knew His ways. They were believing, at least on one level or another, that He had the words of eternal life. Oh, now I'm leaving you. And your life is going to be terrible. It's pretty hard. Really hard. And Jesus is not with us now. I'll qualify that later. He's not with us now. And not only that, His apostles would have us to know that the persecution promise isn't only limited to the 11 disciples. As the Apostle Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I've made jokes before about, I don't think these promises are in the Bible promise handbooks. But I don't really know that. I've never actually checked. But they're the kind of promises we would like to have not be in the Bible promise handbooks. The 11 disciples would like to have these promises not be in the Bible promises and books. I'm the source of eternal life, and I'm going to leave you, and things are going to be terrible in your life. It's just not good. Welcome to Omaha Bible Church. Jesus isn't here. And not only is He not here, your life is going to be horrific if you're one of His followers. It's bad marketing. Um, So how does Jesus help? I better hurry up. (laughs) How does He encourage them? Because that's what He does. He always does. He tells the truth always, but He also encourages believers. And He encourages them by promising them some other promises that are good promises. Positive promises, and those positive promises we're going to look at today have to do with Him sending the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so the answer 
the, the, this is, this is downplaying it, but the coping mechanism, that, that sounds way too weak. The way you're going to deal with the persecution and the way you're going to deal with his absence is him sending his spirit. And I know that most of us think, okay, that's, that's what's supposed to happen now. We're getting close to John chapter 16 and that's a good thing, but I don't feel the goodness. I'm going to at least try to help you today to, to, to feel a little bit of the love and to understand better what that means and to say, oh, that, this actually is a good thing. In fact, Jesus will say, it's better that I leave, which I have a hard time swallowing on one level. I imagine you do too. Better that he leaves? What would the disciples have been thinking? Better that you leave? But it actually is better that he, le- that he leaves. And I think today we're, we're on the road. We're going to be on the road to understanding why it's better that he leaves. And while it may not help us emotionally, immediately, it's better that he leaves. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to be able to highlight four encouraging promises. Okay, We heard a couple of discouraging promises, but four encouraging promises regarding the work of the Spirit. Okay? Four encouraging promises that come from Jesus regarding the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit, the third member of the triune Godhead. Three encouraging promises meant to help them when Jesus is gone and when they are taking it both barrels because they believe in Him for eternal life. That means it can apply in your life. So as you face hostility, and if you don't now, you will sometime in your life, whether it's in your home, at your job, with your friends, wherever, in your marriage, in your church, (laughs) the hostility that you would face, somehow this is meant to encourage you amidst the hostility. Meant to encourage you when Jesus isn't there amidst the hostility. And I hope that happens today. We can do it in four words, actually. I'll preview right now. Um, number one, testifying. Number two, convicting. Number three, guiding. Number four, glorifying. Testifying, one. Convicting, two. Guiding, three. Glorifying, four. I'll elaborate, explain, unpack those as we go. We're going to start in chapter 15, verse 26, and we're going to work our way through chapter 16, verse 14, Lord willing. Jesus promises, I'm going to promise you something. We're not going to learn everything about the Holy Spirit this morning. Okay? These are some of the great promises. Okay? So here we go. First promised work of the Holy Spirit to prepare believers for Jesus' departure and hostility from unbelievers. Number one, the testifying work of the Spirit the testifying work of the Spirit. Let's go ahead and see in verse 26. But when the Helper comes, everything before this, we've been hearing about opposition, persecution, difficulty. But when the Helper comes, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness or testify. That's where I got that word from. He will bear witness or He will testify about me. We might not know what it means yet, but it's meant to give comfort. Even by the the title that he possesses, helper, it's meant to give us help through the hardship. Some of your translations uh, might translate it differently as advocate, perhaps even something similar. It's a word that can mean 
different things in different contexts. Sometimes it's more of a legal idea, advocate, helping in a legal matter, coming alongside, encouraging, even offering testimony. And sometimes it's used in more a generic kind of sense. I think it's legal here. Not that it's not generic, not that he's not going to help us, but there's, there's legal talk because he says he will testify, or excuse me, he will witness or bear witness or testify about me. That's legal talk. So the helper, the Holy Spirit of God, is going to be sent by God. We've got Father and Son partnering. That's just another re-emphasis on the fact that we're not talking about just some crazy guy. We're not just talking about someone who does things on his own. No, this is Father and Son involved here. They, what, what happens is because that's what they want to have happen. And the Spirit's going to come and He's going to help believers like us. And He's going to help us. How's He going to help us? He's going to, as it says, um, bear witness about Jesus. Someone bears witness, they, they, they're testifying. They're, they're, they're either supporting or undermining someone's claim. In this case, it's supporting. Think about this legal matter. Jesus is about ready to be tried and executed as a crazy person, as an insurrectionist, as someone who claims to be a savior who's not. I think it's on purpose that he's using this here. And you know what? Jesus says, I'm going to help you deal with that. The Spirit is coming. And the Spirit is coming in the legal sense. He's going to testify about me. He is going to... Oh, did you even notice? He's called the Spirit of Truth on purpose. He's going to tell the truth as a witness. He's going to testify and His testimony is going to be true about Jesus. When Jesus claimed to be the way and the truth and the life and no one would come to the Father but by Him, the Spirit is going to come and the Spirit's going to affirm that even though they're crucifying me as a liar. The Spirit of truth is going to encourage you as a believer. He's going to help you as a believer to affirm what it is I've been claiming. Not only that, what the Father has been claiming, what believers are claiming Now the Spirit of God is going to come alongside, encourage, help. Now it all sounds good, but it still poses kind of the question, how? It's meant to help them, it's meant to encourage them, but what what does that look like? He doesn't tell us yet, but I think he's going to get to it. But let's start with, at least by way of preview... You're going you're gonna to see that. What does that look like? It looks like, this is super profound but super simple, Him coming. By the sheer fact that He comes in an extraordinary, unique kind of way, that bears testimony to the truthfulness of Jesus. I realize maybe we read it and we were looking for something a little bit different. But with the Spirit coming in this kind of unique, extraordinary, dramatic kind of way, think Acts 2. That is testifying. That is bearing witness. The Spirit of truth is affirming the truthfulness of Jesus. Remember, and maybe I shouldn't say remember, I say it way too often because sometimes people don't even know this stuff. But it's the nice way of saying, you should know. Remember. And if you've never heard before, know for the first time. 
remember the Old Testament again and again and again is talking about this coming day where there's this unique, extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit. It's called the era of the New Covenant. Jeremiah 31, it's all over Isaiah, it's all over Ezekiel, it's in Joel. There's this anticipated time, waiting for this time. Unique, extraordinary, high point in redemptive history time. It's a Holy Spirit time. Again, if it helps you, think Acts 2. That, that affirms the truthfulness of Jesus in what He will do on the cross. The author of the new covenant, right? I want to say more about this in a little while, but, but, but that's what we're talking about. With the Spirit coming, like in the new covenant sense promised in the Old Testament. And if Jesus is who He says He is, and He's going to say, this is the blood in my what? This is the new covenant. We celebrate at communion all the time. If the Spirit does come in the extraordinary way promised, that affirms Him, testifies about Him, tells the truth about Him. That when He said, I am the truth, the Spirit of truth agrees. And by His coming, He agrees. I realize this is maybe a lot to get our minds around on a Sunday morning. But it, but it really is, is a, a strategic building block. That's not, a, that's not a good image. This is like, these are, these are, these are big, 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 big ideas and, and concepts and realities in Old and New Testament. This is the, this is a major piece. In some ways I want to say it's the major piece. Spirit of truth is going to come. The helper, the encourager, the testifier. Jesus is who he says he is. They crucify him. They're going to crucify him. Doesn't look like he is who he says he is. But the Spirit's going to prove it. And you're taking it on the chin, believer, and being persecuted for being an idiot, for being a closed-minded person, for being a you-fill-in-the-blank, believing, going around saying Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by him. How dare you? The Spirit will bear testimony to the same thing when He comes. And you'll be encouraged and affirmed and know you're not crazy. So I'm not sure if I've ever thought about Acts 2 encouraging me like that. I think it can in the face of opposition and hostility, you go, the Spirit of God came in a unique, extraordinary, new covenant kind of promised way, and that proves that Jesus is not a lunatic. And I'm not either. That, that, that's meant to be encouraging. We're, we're going to say more about this, um, but, but let's move on for now. Before we get to this next promise, though, Jesus um, takes six verses and reminds them of how terrible life is going to be. <laughs> so, all right. So before we get to the next good part, um, nothing like really being honest with them and telling them how bad things are going to be. 
So for the next six verses, chapter 16, verses 1 to 6, he ramps it up before he goes back to the Holy Spirit. So here we go. I have, verse 1, I have said all these things to you, referring to what he was saying in chapter 15 about hostility. Notice why. To keep you from falling away. That's it. That's important. I'm honest with you about what you're going to face to keep you from falling away. I am not selling you something. I am not telling you life is going to be peaches and rainbows and unicorns or whatever. I don't know. I'm not telling you it's all going to be wonderful. I'm not going to tell you you're going to have a great, great life here on planet Earth because you're a Christian. Oh, you have eternal life, but I'm here to tell you something. It's going to be terrible, and I want you to know so you don't fall away. There are people who fall away. There are those, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, who go out from us, and I don't want you to be one of those people, is what he's saying. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. If you can't go to the temple, and lots of believers couldn't go to the temple, you gather for corporate worship in synagogues. And if you have a high view of corporate worship, haha, Jesus does. We learned it right here. If you have a high view of corporate worship, this is bad news. You are going to be shut out from the people of God and their corporate worship. And Jesus expects them to say, that would be terrible. Yeah, because it would be. It would be. That's how bad things are going to get? Well, let's keep going. Verse 2, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Think, I think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, when people, they, they actually hear you quote Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's the kind of person who... Maybe we should kill. They're not good for society. Not this religious society especially. Verse 3. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus wants them to understand that. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember what I, that I told them to you. So that... Jesus is not like the religious leader who promises pie in the sky, health, prosperity, wealth. God wants you to have a big car. God wants you to have a jet. God wants you, you know, whatever it is. If you just have more faith, then you're going to be healthy. Or It's the exact opposite. And isn't it interesting that typically the giving of the Holy Spirit the, the, the people who do that kind of stuff somehow blame the Holy Spirit. It's contrary to the context. The Holy Spirit's going to help you because life is going to suck. Until Christ comes back again. How are you going to get through the suffering? How are you going to get through the hardship? How are you going to get through all of the difficulty? The Spirit of God is going to help you get through the hard stuff. Jesus tells them this. I want to tell you this because I don't want to do a bait and switch. 
Believing in Jesus means eternal life. It's the best thing ever. But in the here and now, in the short run, it actually might mean your life gets worse, circumstantially. Think about how many people, how people make these promises. If you just apply this ointment, or if you just take this medicine, or if you just do these exercises, or if you just send three payments of 1995 plus shipping and handling, we'll send you the thigh buster, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And then you get it and it breaks in the first five minutes and you still have your thighs that need to be busted. And you go, I've been burned. Callous. Not doing that again. Not signing up for that again. Jesus is telling them the truth ahead of time. I mean, I, my, my wife Molly, migraine headaches, you know, for 15 years, sometimes debilitating, sometimes worse than other times, but she has tried everything but voodoo. I'm just speaking tongue-in-cheek. But to, I, I think of, we talked about it last night. Going to one certain person, I won't even say what profession they're in. I won't say what they do. I'll give you their address if you want, but no, I won't. Oh, and it was, weird. yep, all these assurances. It, you know, it was this salvation from migraines. Promises, promises, and so nice and gentle and helpful and a good listener and all this stuff. And you know what it helped with? I think it helped making his car payment didn't help with anything. And so toward all solutions, for the most part, my wife is kind of like calloused. Maybe this is just what I have to deal with in life. And by the way, don't offer her the next salvation, please. She doesn't want to buy your vitamins. Um, or whatever else it might be. I didn't mean to be insulting there, sorry. Um, what I'm getting at is, when it comes to religion, Jesus doesn't want to be that guy. Why? Because he's not that guy. He is the truth. He speaks the truth. The spirit of truth testifies regarding him. I'll give you eternal life if you believe in me. I'm going to prove it by being raised from the dead. But in this life, you will have trouble. It's good to know. It's good to know. Verse 4 says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. You didn't need to know this stuff. You didn't need to have any fears. I could, I, I could protect you. Verse 5, but now I am going to him who sent me. I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father. Then it says in verse 5, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. It seems to be a bit of a rebuke. They don't get it yet. They're going to get it. But right now they don't. They don't understand what they're about ready to witness with him leaving is the most extraordinary act in redemptive history. And they're going to, they're, they're going to be a part of it and see it all happen. And what they're thinking about is themselves. Not about him leaving. But let's go ahead and move on to the second promised work of the Holy Spirit, preparing them, preparing us. Number two, the convicting of the Spirit. Verses 7 to 11. The convicting of the Spirit. 
By the way, in a court system, in a, in a courtroom kind of setting, if someone is convicted of something, what's that mean? Yeah. If you're convicted, well, here's the charge. If you're convicted, you're found to be the one who did the thing that you were charged with. You're convicted. You're found guilty. The Spirit convicts. It finds guilty. The, the people are going to find Jesus guilty, even though He's not. The Spirit is going to find the people guilty. And that's meant to encourage these 11 disciples and others. Here we go, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Really? It's to our advantage that you go away? Let's, Let's keep reading. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Okay, let's keep going. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, the Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to convict the world that they who oppose Christ are the wrong ones. The convicting work of the Spirit will come. We're going to say more about this. I want to give it to this, but maybe I need to review, or excuse me, just just rewind just a little bit. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I must go away. The reason he says it, go away, so the Spirit comes. Again, I read that in context, in light of the Spirit of God coming, this is New Covenant era. It's better, because this is what we've all been waiting for, including me, Jesus can say. What all of history has been waiting for. Before time began waiting for, in a lot of Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, it's better because this is it. This is it for me to go to the cross as prophesied, having fulfilled the law in doing so, then to be raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit and to ascend in my office there at the right hand of the Father. New covenant reality. This is what the old covenant was anticipating. Why do you think they called it an old covenant? Even even the fact that it's called the old covenant way back when had a built-in you know expiration date. Or you wouldn't have called it the Old Covenant. It would just be called the Covenant. We've been waiting for the new. Jesus, central to everything. No longer temple in Jerusalem. Now the temple would be the actual people of God. It's better that I go. If you want to use big theological language, which you don't need to, but if you like that sort of thing, to quote one good commentator, the thought is eschatological. End time event, eschatos, the end. This is it. Jesus is ushering in that. The Spirit of God. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 32, 42, 44, Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, Joel chapter 2, the dawning of the new covenant age. Verse 7 again then says, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. I mean, that, 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 would be, that would be 
impossible. But but that that would just hijack everything. What we've been waiting for, quite honestly, since Genesis 3. So if I don't leave, that means I'm not going to Calvary. That means I'm not raising, being raised from the dead. I'm not ascending to the right hand. And the Spirit wouldn't be coming. Trust me, you want me to go. As much as you love me. It's the idea. More than likely, we'll do a topical study sometime shortly after this on the, on the Holy Spirit just to kind of put pieces together. But for now, at least, at least let's see where he says, if I do not go away in verse 7, the Helper will not come to you. For now, let's make sure we understand He will not come to you in the extraordinary promised New Covenant sense. What Jesus does not mean is the Holy Spirit's never been here before. When you start looking at the data and the different passages, even in John, in John chapter 14, he says he's, he's with you. But something extraordinary is going to happen. Um, how about John chapter 3? How, how do people become born again? How are people regenerated? By the power of the Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit hasn't been taking an eternal nap uh, in heaven, and then he shows up. I mean, we, we see the Spirit of God involved in creation. The Spirit of God is involved with kings. The Spirit of God is involved in regeneration. The Spirit of God is involved in all over the place. This is something unique, extraordinary, and it's, it's New Covenant, dawning of the New Covenant. He's coming in that dramatic, long-awaited sense. This is what we've been waiting for, whether or not we knew we were waiting for it or not. It's massive. How about verse 7 there where it says, but if I go, I will send him to you. They didn't, they didn't know it, and a lot of times we don't know it either, but really the right response then should be, by all means, go. Verse 8, and when he comes, that would be the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. World's used different ways in the Bible, different ways in John, but based upon how he's going to use it at the end of this chapter, I think it's in verse 33, the world would, 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 would be all that opposes Christ. Those who oppose Christ. The Spirit is going to convict them. The Spirit is going to show by His coming that they are the guilty ones. I think that's more the idea. I used to read it more out of context, and, it, and I read it more as, well, the Spirit of God convicts us of our sin, and that causes us to see our need for Jesus, and then we believe. And that's true. The Spirit of God has to work in your heart and bring conviction. Otherwise, you're never going to believe in Jesus if you don't think you're a sinner. But in this context, I don't, I don't think that's what he's getting at. It's in the context of judgment. When the Spirit of God comes, He will convict, He will prove and show guilty the world who crucified Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God will do. That's what He will do. And He will do that by raising Jesus from the dead. Oh, I want to get to that in just a second. Maybe there's other stuff I'm supposed to talk about in my notes. Um, 
No, we can talk about it now. <laughs> now, let's look at verse 9. Concerning sin, he, re, he, he hits rewind and unpacks a little bit more. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Okay? They, they do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. I called people to believe in me as the Messiah, and they didn't. They're the wrong ones. And the Spirit coming proves they're the wrong ones. It convicts them of the sin of unbelief. They should have all believed. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Righteous has to do with God's law, keeping God's law, unrighteous, breaking God's law. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Who's the lawbreaker here? Who's the unrighteous one? Jesus, who they crucified and they treated as if he was unrighteous? Or those who crucified him, the world? The world is the unrighteous one. But what he's getting at, no doubt what he's getting at, when he says it the way he says it, concerning righteousness, law, law-breaking, violation of law, they said Jesus is a lawbreaker. Because I go to the Father, and you see me no longer. <laughs> I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm the righteous one. They're the unrighteous ones. Concerning righteousness, the Spirit's going to convict the world. The Spirit's going to prove that they're the guilty ones by Raising me and bringing me to my Father in ascension. Do you, do you, you following? This is like what it talks about in First Timothy 3. We've talked about it in recent days in 3.16. Vindication. See, Jesus died. Wages of sin is death. In other words, the wages of unrighteousness is death. So is it right for him to die? No. And so he was raised from the dead because it would be wrong for him to be in the grave because he's righteous, not unrighteous. The Spirit of God raised him from the dead. That's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Vindicated by the Spirit. This, it doesn't get any more exciting and amazing than this when you start putting pieces together. The Spirit comes and convicts the world of righteousness because I go to my Father. Who's wrong? Who's right? It's the world that crucified Jesus. And we know that it was the world that crucified Jesus because the tomb is empty. Jesus isn't crazy and you're not crazy for believing in Him. And they're taking it both barrels persecution, is it worth it? It's worth it because Jesus was raised from the dead. It's exciting. Verse 11 says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world has been talked about in chapter 12, verse 31, chapter 14, verse 30. And Jesus says the ruler of the world is judged. As in, he is found guilty. He is defeated in chapter 12, verse 31. He is cast out, the ruler of this world. Uh, be cast out. 
I don't want to give you grammar all the time, and you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to understand your Bible, but it is interesting that condemned here, um, or judged, perfect tense. Because of the work of Jesus, the ruler of this world is defeated. Now, we're still waiting for that to actualize. (laughs) But it always comes back to the cross and what Jesus is going to do there. Guaranteed, defeated. This is why in 1 John, it actually says to believers that you have overcome him. You're victorious. How could we be be victorious in 1 John chapter 2? You have overcome the evil one because we're in Christ. We've trusted in Christ. This is why it'll say in chapter 16, verse 33, take heart. That's what you say to somebody when they're struggling and having a hard time. Take heart. I have overcome the world. This is a lot to take in. We can talk about the more personal aspects of the Spirit of God's work. And they're important. And there are other things the Holy Spirit does in our lives as believers. But I'm glad that first we're talking about these. Because they're very objective. They're very much settled in history because of the completed work of Jesus. Then the Spirit comes and He backs up, he proves, he substantiates, he gives testimony, he gives authenticity, if you will, saying, that's right, all the things Jesus said were true. Look at the empty tomb. Look at day of Pentecost. I don't know about you, but I'm worn out. Which tells me I need to stop and say, again, this is not necessarily like the super-duper emotional kind of kick or high that we want. But it is what Jesus thought would best get his disciples through hardship and hard times. So it, it ends up being some of this deep anchoring stuff. And you say, you know what, okay, that makes sense. So my hope and my prayer for you is that you would think deeply about these things and say, well, if that's what Jesus thought would best get them through the difficulty and opposition of things and the lack of having him there, I guess that's what's good for me. Tell me more about vindication. I hope that encourages you because that's all I have to give you. How about verse, or how about number three? The third promised work of the Holy Spirit to prepare for Jesus' departure and hostility to believers. Number three, the guiding of the Spirit. The guiding of the Spirit. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. I like that. Here's Jesus who, chapter 1, verse 18, came to earth, among other things, to interpret God for us, like he'd never been interpreted or explained before with absolute, utter clarity. And Jesus has done that. And then Jesus says, I have more to tell you. There, there, there's, there's more about me, and there's more about redemption, and there's more about heaven, and there's more about glorification, and there's more about sanctification, and there's so much more that I want to tell you, and I need to tell you. But not now. That's why my spirit is going to tell you these things. It's why my spirit is going to help you with these things. He will guide you into all the truth. He will declare to you these things. I do want you to notice something really important about that. And that is when the spirit of truth comes, um, notice he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So it's so great to know that the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit continues the work of Christ. By the way, this is why we end up having apostles, those who speak with the authority of Christ. This is why we have more in our New Testaments than four gospel accounts. It's why we have much more explained, unpacked, meaning, promises, implications, ramifications. The Spirit of God is going to carry out that work first and foremost with His 11 and then 12 and obviously ongoingly. He's going to do it. But let's always remember that what the Spirit is going to do is what Christ wants Him to do. He's not going to give us some new radical stuff that's contrary to what Christ has already said. It's going to be in light of what He's already said. And so many times, the Holy Spirit is, is the person of the Godhead that gets, gets blamed for all the wackiness. So many things are said in the name of the Spirit that are contrary to what Jesus said. Then it's not true. <laughs> because He's the one who says what He's told to say. Okay? In so many ways, you know, it's not like we have the, the era of the Father and the era of the Son and the era of the Spirit because the era of the Spirit is actually the era of the Son which is also the era of the Father, <laughs> because we have all three members of the triune Godhead working together perfectly and in harmony. He's not going to give anything substantively new that Christ hadn't already given, but he's, he's the explainer, the unpacker, the leader. How does he say it? The guider. He will guide you into all the truth. I'm thankful for that. That's encouraging as well. What are we going to do when Jesus is gone? Peter, why weren't you writing everything down? Right? My spirit's going to come and my spirit's going to lead you into all the truth. It's going to be okay. There can be such a thing as Christianity. There can be such a thing as a church being built and you don't have to start making stuff up. You're going to be guided into all the truth. By the way, the believers, all believers are going to have the same spirit. 
That's encouraging. Again, we might say, how can we know that, that, that this is what Jesus would want us to believe? Well, I start here saying, well, it's the promise he made. By the way, Jesus never claimed that nothing else would ever be said about him that is true. He said to his people, starting with the eleven, the disciples, he'll guide you into all the truth. And those disciples become apostles. Finally, and this one's related to the final one. Number four, or this one's related to number three. Let's call it the glorifying of the Spirit. Verse 14, he's saying the same things, but I wanted to highlight one aspect. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I wanted to make it an extra point because I wanted you to underline and highlight those four words, He will glorify me. I just want to remind you that we're called Christians. Okay? We're not called Numitans. This religion is not Numitan religion. Spirit religion. Okay? We're not, we're not Spiritans. Holy Spiritans. That doesn't sound right. We are called Christians because the triune God chose to have the Son come here to become one of us and to be the center focus of redemptive history. Sent by the Father, affirmed by the Father, led by the Son, by the Spirit, absolutely. And now the Spirit of Christ comes here to lead us in all the truth, but no mistake should be made about it. Jesus says, He will glorify me. He will glorify me. And we need to remember that. Yes, all three members are important. All three are fully divine. All three are fully eternal. We are Trinitarians. But they relate to, one, to, to each other and ask us to see them in certain ways with certain roles. And the Spirit is here on earth, in your life, in the world, involved in the new covenant, and He is here to glorify Christ. So the next time your friend says, I don't know what kind of Christian you are because you never talk about the Holy Spirit. All you ever do is talk about Jesus. I want you to say, that's amazing. That means the Spirit of God is alive and well in my life. Because the Spirit of God's job, actually, is to glorify Christ. And by the way, we would never be glorifying Christ if it weren't for the power of the Spirit. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. Again, too many times what we do is we like to use the Holy Spirit so that we can somehow turn it into mysticism and our agenda and blame Him because somehow He's the Holy Ghost. And you can't evaluate Him. No, He's here under the authority of Christ, revealing the revelation of Christ, and He is here to glorify Christ. And so we can. I don't know if you're encouraged or not, I'm encouraged, but I'm still waiting for the kind of uh, warm, fuzzy feeling. Because when I'm hurting and people are mad at me and people are angry with me and people are persecuting me and I would like to be with Jesus and not be here, this isn't the first thing I look for. 
as a textbook on the Holy Spirit. I want something else. So would you love me after the service today? <laughs> point, point being, there, there's a place for all the other kind of stuff and love and encouragement and one another's, but we can't miss this. Or we're probably just looking for a quick fix that's not going to be as good as this, is all I'm saying. We should pray and be dismissed. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Omaha Bible Church. Thank you for the fact that there's mercy and grace found in Christ and in redemption. Thank you for the Spirit of God that we know has come. And we know the Spirit of God has already convicted the hostile world that they are wrong and Christ is right. And that we're actually in the right by believing in Him. Indeed, you're gracious and kind. Give us a great picnic this afternoon. Encourage us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.